Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Just yesterday, I was in conversation with Ms. Tin Pei Ling, MP for McPherson SMC, and we were discussing the four key amendments that have been made to the Maintenance of Parents Bill. Here's a recap of the four changes. Parents with records of abandonment, abuse, or neglect against their child must declare this to the tribunal and seek its permission to file maintenance claims. The President and Deputy President of the Tribunal for the Maintenance of Parents will be empowered to dismiss frivolous or vexatious applications without informing or involving the child. The Commissioner of the Maintenance of Parents is empowered to have the child attend conciliation sessions if there is no evidence that their parents were abusive so they can hear the child's side of the story, discuss care arrangements for their destitute parents and encourage or support them. The tribunal is empowered to make non-monetary directions such as requiring the attendance of counselling sessions. We continue the conversation with part two of our series today. We've invited the tribunal president and commissioner for the maintenance of parents to analyse the significance of these changes and And what's the thought processes behind these amendments, the first to happen since 2010? Mr. Gregory Villagendron is Tribunal President for Maintenance of Parents. Gregory, good morning. Good morning. Mr. Ku Unsu is Commissioner for the Maintenance of Parents. Mr. Ku, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Michelle. It's a delight to be on this program. Likewise, Mr. Ku, maybe we could start with you. Can you give us a sense of how many parents in Singapore have had to rely on this piece of legislation for monetary support over the years? Certainly. The Commissioner's Office commenced operation in mid-2010. The highest caseload we have registered would be in 2012, where we had 303 cases. Over the next four years, the cases went down and averaged about 200 per year. And in the last six years, the numbers have been in the hundreds. So we're actually seeing less parents relying on on this piece of legislation. I think that's good news. Gregory, help us understand how the amendments enhance the powers of the tribunal and why that was deemed necessary if less people are relying on this piece of law. Thank you very much, Michelle, for for giving me an opportunity to share. Um, You you summarised the amendments very neatly earlier. And and just to unpack that slightly... Uh, the first of the amendments, which required parents with records of abandonment, abuse, or neglect against their child to first obtain the tribunal's permission before they proceed with their claim, introduces what I would call a filtration mechanism uh, because it, it has a tier uh, which necessitates parents who have these records of um, ANA, ANA, abandonment, neglect, or abuse against their children to, to essentially satisfy the tribunal that um, it is a fit and proper case uh, to proceed uh, with their claim. And, uh, and so that will weed out uh, some cases that are unmeritorious. The second amendment, which empowers the tribunal to dismiss frivolous and vexatious applications 
without requiring the children to respond, um, confers on the tribunal summary dismissal powers, uh, which allow the tribunal to take what I would term as a trauma-sensitized or trauma-informed approach that does not require the respondent child to even respond or to be involved. And, and in that sense, protects them uh, from the effects of distress uh, you know, that could be uh, felt um, when a parent that has been, for example, their abuser uh, decides to apply for maintenance against them and, um, and essentially also strengthens the hand of the tribunal uh, to ensure that um, only um, appropriate cases will be heard um, ultimately by the tribunal and uh, will be the subject of fair hearing. The third amendment is quite self-explanatory. Uh, it empowers a commissioner to locate children of destitute parents for conciliation, and uh, that is without the need for the parent to put in a formal application. And um, commissioner is, of course, uh, well-placed uh, and, and, and very knowledgeable about um, you know the work of uh, CMP and, um, and the outstanding way that it has uh, resulted in conciliation. The Fourth Amendment empowers the tribunal to make non-monetary directions to address underlying issues between the parent and the child. So at present, we have binary options. Uh, we either grant the application or we dismiss it. And uh, if we grant it, then of course, there's a question of quantum. Uh, but with this amendment, mm. which strengthens the hand of the tribunal, it allows for conditional orders where, for example, if a parent has a gambling addiction or may be vulnerable to scammers based on, you know, for instance, uh, the evidence that's before the tribunal or may need some wisdom in terms of budgeting, um, some conditional orders can be made. Uh, and we've seen examples, particularly in context of gambling addiction, in which, uh, you know, for example, uh, the children have been reluctant to give maintenance because they are afraid that the money will be frittered away um, on the gambling uh, addiction. And so those are, you know, the amendments, uh, in a sense, uh, unpacked for you. Um, and I'll just pause here. Fantastic overview. Thank you for helping us, uh, you know, understand these amendments and what they mean for us. I want to maybe drill down a little bit on each one. So for the first amendment, which looks at protecting children who are abused, neglected or abandoned from necessarily having to maintain their parents, where does the burden of providing the proof lie and what constitutes a sufficient amount of proof of abuse? Gregory, would you be able to take that? I will. And uh, thank you for giving me a chance to, you know, sort of delve deeper. Um, the current um, regime, you know, pre-amendment required that the burden of proof, the onus of proof is on the person alleging the abuse or the abandonment or the neglect. And so that means evidence needed to be produced uh, by the respondent child to make good uh, the claim that, you know, there was a historical uh, episode um, or episodes of um, such Hana. Now, the the beauty of the present amendment and credit, you know, needs to be given to the work group for very thoughtfully coming up with it. Um, but essentially, where there are records of this abandonment, abuse, or neglect, you know, presumably, uh, for example, from you know either criminal records 
personal protection orders, can protection orders or records from the MSF's child and adult protective services. So these would be official, it would be documentary, it would be um, largely the best evidence of um, you know, such abuse, neglect or abandonment, then the tribunal does not need to, to call the respondent to get that evidence because the burden shifts, in a sense, to the parent uh, to show the tribunal why it should have permission to proceed uh, with their claims despite having this record. Now, in some cases, they may be able to discharge that uh, burden, cross that hurdle, uh, and it may be just and equitable for leave to be granted, and then they will get a fair hearing. We'll hear both sides. But uh, in some cases, they may not be able to cross that barrier. I understand that the evidence that is furnished to the tribunal is not limited to official records. It can consist of oral or written recollections. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And, um, you know, that, of course, uh, would be also in some cases uh, given by the child and it would be corroborated by other family members. I wanted to understand how the tribunal or the commissioner ensures the credibility then of these historical recollections uh, to, to build a case for abuse. That's, a, that's an excellent question and it requires us to consider the matter forensically. So um, I mentioned best evidence because you know where there is, for example, a personal protection order granted or a criminal conviction secured, that you know would essentially establish the facts uh, that would be helpful and, and like Likewise, you know, some of the other official records. But as you rightly pointed out, uh, Michelle, I think, uh, you know, where, where there are going to be, um, you know, less than formal or, or perhaps even uh, subjective uh, recollections on the part of, um, you know, the abused uh, victim. And I know it's painful, it's traumatic, it can be, you know, the subject of distress, there may be a risk of re-traumatization. And, and that's why, you know, these amendments are, you know, very strong. But where we see that, then we have to, of course, apply uh, a very careful and, um, you know, very analytical approach to that evidence. Is it corroborated? Does it have the credibility of truth? Uh, can it be tested? And sometimes it's tested when, you know, in the context of the crucible of the hearing, uh, you know, the parties are responding to each other. Um, and, and so when you weigh it all together, is it in black and white, for example, uh, were there letters? In some cases, we've seen letters of uh, psychological abuse on the part of the parent. And, and it's not just one-off um, uh, episodic ad hoc, but, you know, you can see a pattern. And so this is how we would then discern uh, where the truth lies. Um, also, what, what does the parent have to say about it? Because in some cases, they have really nothing to say. Right. You know, the truth is the truth. Mr. Gregory Vijayendran is Tribunal President for Maintenance of Parents. Mr. Ku Un Su is Commissioner. Mr. Ku, can you weigh in and help us understand, this is a question maybe for the general public, what happens if children are not able to financially support their parents who have filed for maintenance orders? What happens then? Well, the Maintenance of Parents Act specifically provides for various factors for the tribunal to consider. Now, at our level, um, we would have conciliation where we hear the versions of both parties, the elderly parent and the children. And I would say also that uh, before that takes place, we would have background screening um, as to the resources of the children. So where we have come to the conclusion that the children have no resources or they have other commitments and they are not able to provide for the parents, what we do is that uh, we will refer the elderly to other agencies for assistance. 
the, the, the law does not compel a child to support when he cannot. Well said. The law does not compel a child to support when he or she cannot. Let's talk about destitute elderly in Singapore who do need support, who may have difficulty advocating for themselves. How do the key amendments address these, this issue, destitute parents who maybe choose not to claim maintenance from their child for all sorts of fears? There could be all sorts of reasons, right? Fear of straining the relationship, a estranged relationship, just not wanting uh, to, to speak to their child for various reasons. How do the key amendments that empower the tribunal to advocate on behalf of these parents? Greg? That's a good question. The key amendment and the inroad in this area is that previously we could not act unless the parents themselves come to apply or they give the consent to someone, a call an agent, to come and apply on behalf. What this amendment does is that uh, for various reasons, the parent doesn't want to apply or does not consent. The amendment allows and empowers the commissioner to go to the children, notwithstanding the fact that the parent uh, is not consenting or <clears throat> is not claiming. And we have the power to invite them for mandatory conciliation. And that's where we have a good chat with the children to find out their versions and the, their circumstances. Can a parent, say, intervene in this process and say, I absolutely, these are my wishes, I do not wish to be brought into a conciliatory situation with my child? Is there room for the parent's voice? No, at this stage, the parent is not involved, uh, Michelle. Um, we, we do not inform the parent what we are doing. We just want to have a chat with the children first. Because this is a case where oftentimes it's egregious, Michelle, where you, you, you have children who, who seemingly could afford uh, and they, they, they are not forthcoming in supporting the children. So we really need to speak to these children and find out why are you not supporting the, the parents. Do you envision a point, Mr. Ku, where the commissioner can be empowered to apply for maintenance on behalf of destitute parents, even without their consent? No. Um, the amendment here is to reach out to the children to have conciliation. Uh, the question of applying on behalf does not arise. It, it is conciliation stage, and this conciliation with the children is mandatory. Okay, important distinction there. So the key amendment allows uh, the commissioner to um, make movements towards conciliation, not to claim maintenance from their children without the permission of parents. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. All right. Here's a question for you, Gregory. How far, in your opinion, do the amendments go towards addressing the concerns of the very many focus groups, I imagine, who weighed in? Um, thank you very much, Michelle. Um, in my view, you know, these are very uh, thoughtful, balanced and calibrated uh, amendments, which on the one hand strengthen the provisions for needy parents who are neglected. And that's, of course, you know, the raison d'etre for the legislation for the Maintenance of Parents Act. On the other hand, it also introduces sensible measures to prevent its misuse. And these measures, which are counterbalances, take a trauma-informed approach. And with all that we know now, and, um, you know, as we continue to understand, you know, how an abuse victim or abandoned victim or neglected victim, and we've seen evidence of this in terms of even the tribunal work, uh, but 
when we see how uh, their response is, and in some cases it isn't to fight, it's, it's really freeze or flight, and they may just give in in order to get out. And, and we need to uh, remember that, you know, against that uh, sort of psychological reality and, uh, and the sort of familial dynamics of the parents, these measures uh, strike the right balance, uh, in my view, because they, they essentially um, sort of achieve the goals in a holistic fashion, bearing in mind the extensive consultation that the work group did. It also allows, as far as the conditional orders, the non-monetary directions are concerned, mm-hmm. um, the opportunity to uh, give the tribunal uh, a chance to sort of tailor-make uh, bespoke creative solutions that are specific to that particular family uh, in order to come up with the right solution, bearing in mind the problem. And the problems that we're seeing are actually far more complex these days. So, you know, in the light of that, um, this is a welcome amendment, uh, a welcome set of amendments um, overall. If I could just uh, probe a little, what are some of these bespoke arrangements, Gregory? Uh, Are we moving beyond gambling? Are we looking at sort of other forces that could be tearing a family apart that the amendments can allow for direction for? Yes, uh, good question. So um, I I had gambling in mind because, you know, for example, in in one case, uh, when a parent had filed a maintenance claim against a son, uh, the the mum had, um, you know, a gambling addiction. The son, who had previously helped service the gambling debts, uh, wanted the mum to attend counselling to deal with her gambling habits. So with this power uh, that is given to the tribunal, uh, it would allow the tribunal uh, to require that the mum attend a counselling session uh, as a condition to getting the maintenance. And that's a sensible way to deal with the root of the problem. Uh, some other examples, uh, and I sort of alluded to that earlier, uh, would involve um, cases where a parent might be vulnerable to scammers, and so perhaps there, there may be a need for literacy on anti-scamming, or perhaps even wisdom in terms of budgeting financially because it may be that some of the maintenance issues flow from uh, a lack of um, sensible, prudent uh, financial management. And that, you know, Michelle, could um, be addressed through this non-monetary direction. So those were some of the examples just drawing back from the tribunal's work. Thank you so much for those key examples, Mr. Gregory Vijayendran. Mr. Ku, I want to give you the final word as well. Uh, Same question for you that I put to Greg a while ago. How far do the amendments go towards addressing the concerns of the focus groups? Maybe you can weigh in from your perspective as commissioner. Yeah, the focus group had a few areas of concern uh, which have been crystallized in the four areas of uh, amendments. But I think the inroad now is the approach where we can, under the amendments, help the destitutes. Uh, and this has been achieved by the amendments where the commissioner is empowered, which he had no such power previously, to reach out to the children without the consent of the elderly, to call them up for mandatory conciliation. And this is good amendment because then we have the opportunity to hear the children's version as to why they have their means, but they are not. Is this a case of unwilling? And what other reason? It's because of uh, abandonment, abuse or neglect. So they, we, we feel that we need to give the children an opportunity to be heard. And if they have no valid reason, then they would have to support. If they still are not coming and supporting, 
then of course a commissioner would have to consider whether to lodge a claim on behalf of the uh, destitute. Well, hopefully these amendments help heal families as well, going beyond the monetary. Thank you so much, yes. gentlemen, for joining us this morning. Mr. Gregory Vijayendran is Tribunal President. Mr. Ku Un Su is Commissioner. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for having us, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.